Now we are privileged to turn to the word of the Lord. We've come to Matthew 23, verses 13 and following. You will remember that in chapter 23, the first 12 verses we saw last week, signs and indicators of false teachers, features of false teachers. Now the Lord Jesus Christ brings upon these false teachers, these Pharisees, these incredible judgments, these woes. Let us pray briefly before we read. Our Father, we look forward to that day in which the Lord Jesus Christ will tear back the clouds and open heaven for us. But even now we know that heaven is open for all who have faith in Jesus. Grant that we may grow in grace and find that as believers in Jesus, all hypocrisy is being rooted out and that we are progressively being conformed to the image of your Son through the Word of God. And we pray that those among us today who are estranged from Christ, who don't know him, who are lost, who are undone, will see their helplessness by the power of your Spirit and that they will arise and go to Jesus for their salvation. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of God. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, 
but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." I am amazed at how little we esteem our Redeemer by being unconcerned with false doctrine. Today, false doctrine floods the churches. We have the openness of God, false teaching, a weak view of the inspiration of the Bible, denials of substitutionary atonement, denials of imputed righteousness of Christ, denials of a literal hell. And I'm not talking about churches that are traditionally liberal. These are viewpoints that have entered into churches that consider themselves to be evangelical. Nothing will so harm the church as this. But as we have seen in the preceding verses, and now as we continue on in this chapter 23 of Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ is very concerned about false teaching and very concerned about false teachers. And Jesus was totally intolerant. Did you notice his language? How could we miss it? He calls them sons of hell, blind guides, fools, robbers, self-indulgent, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, serpents, vipers, persecutors, and murderers of God's people. And upon those who would mislead the sheep, he brought seven woes, seven judgments. It is serious, serious, serious what we read in this text. One old writer says, While they live, their religion is vain. When they die, their ruin is great. I think that is a good summation of the chapter before us. Woe to you, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you've read this passage many times in your personal devotions. Let us try to listen anew to the scripture and feel its vitality within our hearts. He brings seven judgments upon these hypocrites. The first woe that he brings upon the Pharisees is a judgment, a woe upon them because they shut men out of the kingdom of God. Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And so they are too proud to enter into the kingdom of God through the door of faith and repentance in Christ alone. And they do not love the souls of men. And constantly in Matthew, from the ninth chapter all the way through, we see that they are constantly talking to men about Christ 
in order to keep them from believing in Jesus Christ. How many people and how many ideologies do the same today, attempting to keep men from putting their trust in Christ alone for their redemption and for their salvation? But let me tell you, the scriptures teach that these men, along with everyone, will bow. It doesn't matter what they have taught, they will bow. It doesn't matter what their false teaching had been, they will bow. It doesn't matter what they thought of themselves, everyone will bow on the last day before the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you why they would shut the door in the faces of men so that they will not enter and be saved from their sins. It's because of what we read back there in the 22nd chapter in verse 41 and following, when Jesus asked the question, what do you think about the Christ whose son is he? And Jesus, of course, taught his own deity. But these men stubbornly refused to recognize who Jesus is. They believed Moses, they said, but they did not believe Moses. Had they believed Moses, they would have recognized Christ And they suppressed all of the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to Jesus who stood before them. You know, I want an open heart to the Word of God, don't you? I want my heart to be like a flower turned toward the sun that absorbs all of its life-giving rays, don't you? But the heart apart from Christ does not want that. Too proud to repent, they are too proud to acknowledge who Jesus is, And so they would shut the door of salvation in the faces of men so that they will not enter and trust in Christ. The second woe or judgment brought upon the Pharisees is because of their subversive zeal. We read in verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves." They were zealous, all right. They were zealous for their error. They were zealous to make men Pharisees, to wreck their lives on the coral reef of works righteousness. They were zealous for that, all right. But were they zealous for the glory of God? No, they were not. Were they zealous because of their love for the souls of men? No, they were not. And they spared no, no pains when they would win men to Pharisaism, and then when those would come to Pharisaism, they became twice as much the sons of hell as those who had won them. They bound their converts in the shackles of the bondage of works, righteousness, and the mission of the church is quite different than the mission of the Pharisees. My friends, if they are as zealous as they are to win men to be sons of hell, Should we not be more zealous to win men to be sons of heaven? Having the truth, having been touched by the sovereign grace of God and our hearts having been opened to the truth as it is in Jesus, how zealous we should be to go into the world and preach the gospel of Christ, the opposite of what was preached by these Pharisees. The third woe, the third judgment that was brought upon them was because they were unconcerned with the truth unconcerned with the truth. In verses 16 through 22, the Lord Jesus opens this up. He calls them blind guides. He gives examples. If someone swears by the temple, they say it's nothing. But if someone swears by the gold of the, gold of the temple, he's bound by an oath. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, you're mishandling the word of God and you're perverting the truth. 
They were not truthful in their hearts and they were not truthful in their lives. They looked pious in the process, but they had forgotten the words of Psalm 50 in which we are told, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. They were not truthful men. Oh, it's all right if you make an oath. You can make an oath to the temple, but you're not bound to it. But if you make an oath based upon the gold that is on the temple, then you're bound to it. Such casuistry, such sophistry. But you know, when the Spirit of God works within a man's heart and applies the Word of God, he takes from us that lying spirit and he replaces it with truth. When the Spirit of God begins to work in our hearts, we begin to see and say the truth about God, about ourselves, and about life. We find that our hearts change and we come to love the truth. The fourth woe or judgment brought upon these Pharisees is because they fundamentally distorted the Word of God. In verses 23 and 24, we're given an example by Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And so they obeyed the Old Testament laws regarding tithing. And the Lord Jesus Christ does not criticize this at all. They should follow those laws. They were bound to it in that era. But they tithed while neglecting the weightier matters of the law. They neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. They avoided things that were close to the heart. What about you, by the way? Do you avoid those things that are close to the heart? Those things that would open your heart before the Lord? Those things that would open your consciences before the Lord and bring you to faith and repentance? Do you avoid those things in your life? Or do you open your heart to them by the grace of God? You see them counting out their, their herbs. There they are. They're taking their herbs and they're counting out from their herbs the seeds and the various portions of the herbs so that they can be careful to tithe them while their neighbor is starving to death. They're counting out their herbs without opening their heart to the question, am I a sinner deserving God's displeasure and how can I be saved from my sin? They avoided mercy. They avoided justice. They avoided faithfulness. All in the name of a religious act. And it's a temptation for us all. But every false teacher distorts scripture to keep the heart from the issues of sin and grace and mercy. Why do the Jehovah's Witnesses go from door to door? Why do the Mormon missionaries go, take a year out of their lives and go from door to door? Why do they do it? You think it's because they love Christ? You think it's because they love the truth? They don't know Christ. They don't know the truth. They do it because it adds to their work system. That's why they do it. Every false teacher, every false religion does this. Every false religion binds people to works righteousness. And so they use piety as a cloak because they do not want people to be free from their sin, but want them to be bound to their system. The fifth woe that is brought by Jesus upon these Pharisees is that the inside and outside of their lives do not correspond. You see it in verses 25 and 26. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. They had constant debates, these Pharisees, over the right way to cleanse the utensils that they would use in everyday life so that they would be sure to be ceremonially clean. They debated this endlessly. This blind Pharisee, as Jesus calls them, they were self-ignorant, and self-ignorance is the most shameful and hurtful ignorance, as one of the old Puritans puts it. You remember how this is put by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the book of Revelation, as he says to the church in Laodicea, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They would have nothing to do with God's method of salvation. They would only have to do with their own system of works righteousness. But the sixth woe, the sixth judgment that is brought by Jesus upon these Pharisees is for their hypocrisy. Now, I know that the Lord Jesus has been calling them hypocrites all along. Six times in this chapter, he refers to them as hypocrites. But this is the most scathing of all in verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, just before the Passover, the custom of these Pharisees was to whitewash graves and grave sites. You see, if you whitewash them, then they became highly visible. And then those who would come to the Passover would see this whitewashed grave and they wouldn't touch it. If you touch the whitewashed grave, then you would become ceremonially unclean and you would not be eligible to participate in the Passover. And so the Lord Jesus points to that action and points to their hearts and he says to these Pharisees, you are all paint on the outside, but you are unclean on the inside. You are inside unclean, deteriorating, filled with dust and filth and ugliness, and death. And it is possible for us to appear whitewashed on the outside, clean. It is possible for us to seem very moral. It is possible for us to clean up well and be as bad as death within our hearts. And so they are concerned with the law. Did you catch this? These Pharisees, you know, were very concerned with the law. That's what we think of them. They were concerned with the law. But the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 28 says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and anomia, lawlessness. You're not concerned with the law. You are concerned with your own system of works righteousness. You are lawless men. And each of us blushes, do we not? Each of us blushes here as we consider the inconsistencies of our hearts, and the inconsistencies of our lives. Those times in which we have not been truthful when we know that we should have. 
uh, those times in which investigating our hearts we see that there, there are inconsistencies from our profession of faith and the choices that we have made and the lives that we have lived. Each of us blushes here. But he is no hypocrite who turns from his sinful inconsistency to find his hope in Christ, and that's what these Pharisees would not do. Yes, indeed, I need to say, my sin, apart from Jesus Christ, my sin stinks in the nostrils of Jehovah. But now I need to say this, I have by faith placed upon myself, that is, he by grace has placed upon me his perfect robe of righteousness. And that perfect robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ received by faith is perfumed with the perfume of heaven. It has the smell of Christ's sacrifice on it so that it is altogether pleasing in the nostrils of Jehovah. I have all I have in Christ. I am completely accepted in Christ. I am completely accepted in his perfection. And the only way, apart from the woes of the judgments that we find in this passage, is through the perfect robe of righteousness and the sweet aroma of his sacrifice in the place of sinners. Pharisee, because all of us are Pharisees by nature, I say to us, the only way to avoid these judgments in our own lives is by the perfection of Christ, His perfect righteousness received by faith alone, apart from works. And then we have a seventh woe or judgment, and it is failure to submit to the Word of God. Let's read verses 29 through 32. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying... If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. They failed to submit to the word of God. They erected monuments to the prophets. Oh, We look back upon the prophets and we honor the prophets and we erect monuments to the prophets, but it's all lip service. Had we lived in the days of the prophets, we would have honored them. We would not have been like our fathers before us that stoned them and rejected them and killed them and rejected the message of Jehovah to the people of God. We are open to that message. We would not kill the prophets. We embrace the word of God. It's like the Christian who says, had I been in the crowd, I would not have cried, crucify him. Oh, not now by grace, but there is a time in your life in which you would have. It is my sin that put him on the cross. And so the Jews emphasize physical descent. Indeed, they are like their fathers, said Jesus, who killed the prophets. What does he mean? He means they despise the word of God. And they show it now because they are plotting to murder Jesus. And God will wait just so long. And he says the measure will be full. And God will come in his wrath, just like in the parable of the tenants in chapter 21. The Apostle Paul actually says in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, 
For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Or it may be translated, God's wrath has come upon them forever. And so Paul reflects upon this passage in 1 Thessalonians 2. And the failure to be subject to the word of God brings wrath. And so the Lord Jesus concludes this passage by speaking of the certainty of judgment. You are filling up the measure of sin. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? And I'm simply reflecting the teaching of Scripture here, am I not? Matthew is filled with teaching about what sin deserves. It is filled with teaching about hell and the only way out who is Christ. It is filled with teaching about the judgment of God that is coming. And Jesus says after the ascension, this is what will happen. Verse 34, I will send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Undoubtedly meaning that if Jesus is crucified, his servants can expect the same treatment. And in verse 35, In verse 35, he says, So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, which points us ahead to chapter 27 of Matthew, when Jesus is before Pilate, and he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. He includes in verse 36, this generation. The Jews had waited for centuries for the Messiah to come, and now they reject him, and rejecting the Son brings judgment. And it is inevitable because God is just. My friends, how awesome is this passage? We are anesthetized to the teaching about the judgment to come and its truth because of all of the falsehoods of our culture fed into our veins. May the Lord rip out the line that feeds us this fatal sleep because the judgment is coming. Now that's the passage. But I want to press home two things, two truths. The first truth that I want to press home upon you is think of this. These Pharisees read the Bible and missed the point. Who were these Pharisees? These Pharisees had a high view of the inspiration and authority of the Bible. They would have defended the inspiration of Moses to their dying day. They read it. But they didn't understand it. They missed the point. Why? Because they had no sense of the gloriousness of God in their hearts. You ask the Pharisee of Jesus' day, is God glorious? Is he holy? Is he majestic? 
Is he worthy of all praise? And they would have said, yes, yes, but he had no sense of the gloriousness of God in his heart. They were missing what Jonathan Edwards calls a divine and supernatural light. It is one thing to speculate about God's beauty. It is another thing to have a sense of his beauty within your soul. It is possible for a chemist to tell you all of the properties of honey, to give you equations and to tell you all about its, its makeup. But if he has never tasted honey, he does not know honey. When the Spirit of God grants the new birth, he destroys prejudices and sanctifies the reason so that we can see Christ for who he is and submit to his word and taste the goodness of God for ourselves. And now we can see that all of Scripture is about Jesus. And the Pharisees were blind as bats and dead as stones. And so are we all until God intervenes in sovereign grace. And if we come out of our spiritual graves, it is by the irresistible power of God's regenerating grace. I know this in my own life. A mysterious life overcame all of my objections when I was a young man, and I trembled with a new impulse of fear and of love, and I lived where once I was dead, and God did it all. God in grace, who created the world, created grace in my heart. That same God who raised Jesus from the dead raised me from my spiritual death. And may he do that for someone here today. You see, the Pharisees, the Pharisees did not love God, did not love his word, did not love his law. We tend to think that the Pharisees had this very, very high and exalted view of the law. They didn't. They had a very low view of the law. Because they believed that the law was attainable for acceptance with God. Had they had a high view of the law of God, they would have seen that it was a reflection of his nature and his character and his perfections. And they would have said, I am unholy before this great God and before his law. I need a savior. And they would have gone for mercy to Jesus Christ. They read the Bible just as someone here reads the Bible but misses the point. Second thing I want you to see, the second truth I want to press upon us, is this strange authority of Jesus. Did you notice it once again, this strange authority of Jesus? Why, he acts as if he has the right to judge the hearts of men. But did we not see this as far back as the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said, I say to you. Why, he acts as if he is the author of divine revelation. Or take another passage back there in Matthew chapter 7. Turn to it. This strange note of authority. Matthew seven twenty one and following. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Do you see the authority of Jesus? He is claiming the authority to bring judgment on the last day. Don't patronize Jesus. Don't say, I'll have Jesus as a good teacher. But I reject what he says about these other things. My friends, he is either who he claims to be, he is God in the flesh, who has the right and the authority to judge the hearts of men and to bring judgment on the last day, or he's not good at all. This truly amazing note of authority. Now this is the cure for hypocrisy, because the hypocrite does not live in the reality of the awesome authority of Jesus to judge on the last day. Ask yourself, can I bear to go before God with a heart like mine? Can I bear to go before God living as I am before the all-seeing eye of the Lord Jesus Christ who will return as judge of the living and the dead? Can I bear to stand before his burning eye, thou God seest me. When the Lord brings this judgment to the soul, this is the death to hypocrisy. When the Lord brings this judgment to the soul, this makes a man or a woman cry out for mercy. Think of it this way. Though some are hypocrites even on their deathbed, it is harder for a dying man to continue his hypocrisy and deceit Think of yourself there. You're on your deathbed. You're weak. Your pulse is barely, barely there. You're about to go out into eternity and meet God. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, said, Things written with the juice of a lemon, when they are brought to the fire, are plain and legible. So when wicked men draw near to the fires of hell, their secret sins stand out before them, and they cry out upon their beds. So there are all of your secret sins. You're about to go out into eternity and you see something. You look back over your life and you see, I murdered that man in my heart. I broke God's law. I was filled with idols. I was impure. My friend, don't wait until that time. No longer smother your sins. Do not veil it. God sees it. Do you think that the Lord does not see the mask is going to be removed? Shall the Lord remove it now and save your soul? Or shall that mask be removed on the day of judgment when it is too late? The Bible describes the judgment very vividly. Sinners are like ripe grapes cast into the winepress of the wrath of God, trodden underfoot by Christ until the blood comes out. And it is just. Everyone who comes to know Christ says within his heart, I am a hell-deserving sinner. The judgment of God 
is just, and that's why I need grace. Pastor, you say, this is a bitter cup to drink. Yes, it is. It is a bitter cup to drink, but it will be more bitter on that day when someone here drinks down the cup of the judgment of God to its bitter dregs. Yes, it is a bitter cup to drink, but if you drink down this truth now in faith, you will find that there's sugar in the bottom of the cup. For he who sees now that he is judgment worthy, he who sees now that he is a hell-deserving sinner, turns to the cross of Christ, and in faith he points to Calvary. He points to Jesus Christ, and he says, There, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There is my judgment. There is my doom. There is the winepress that has trodden underfoot my Savior in my place. Go now to the labor of his blood. There be cleansed from your sin. There be saved from damnation. There be saved from the judgment that is surely coming. There find the hand that reaches down to save you from sin, hypocrisy, and doom. And God's people said, Amen.